0: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to, avoid, to them. avoid Them.
1: Here's your host, Stacey Jones.
0: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And I want to give a very warm welcome to Deanna Shimoda. Deanna is the CEO of Growth Mode Marketing, a B2B marketing specialist agency that focuses on demand generation and content marketing. With 22 years of marketing expertise, Deanna now helps businesses understand how to turn on inbound marketing where your sales prospects are already familiar with you and know where to find you. Today, Deanna and I are going to be chatting about how B2B companies can focus on demand generation and drive sales through content marketing. We'll learn what works from Deanna's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses and individuals just missed the mark. Deanna, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thanks, Stacey. It's great to be here. I always like starting about how you got to here today. What got you into demand generation?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I grew up on the corporate side for the majority of my career working in marketing and you know, eventually was running marketing departments and I always found myself at organizations where high growth was a priority. And so from a marketing standpoint, they were turning to us and they were saying, We need leads, we need them now, help us. And I a lot of times worked at organizations that didn't have huge budgets. So I had to get creative and how we were going to do that. And so I feel like long Long before, you know, content marketing was called content marketing, that was really a focus for me and my career and the organizations I was working at was developing great content. Fast forward to where I am now at Growth Mode Marketing. We started our agency seven years ago and I was coming off of a VP of marketing role at a software company where, you know, you guessed it, high growth was the mission. We were private equity backed and they really wanted to accelerate growth over a five-year period. And when I walked in the door, they're like, great, you're here, we can finally grow. Let's figure this out together. And so, As I was going through that journey, I ended up talking to a lot of agencies and having conversations with them, and they would come in, you know, and I would say, we need leads, we need them yesterday. And their response would be like, we're going to help you create this amazing brand experience. Mm -hmm. As a marketer, I know full well the value of a brand experience. And you know, I actually think it's a very critical component of demand generation today. But it wasn't the conversation wasn't positioned in a way where I felt like they understood what I was trying to get at. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know what it was like to go back to the board of director and the investors and have to justify every dollar I spent and, and explain like, here's from a marketing standpoint, how we're going to get from point A to point Z in this growth journey. So out of that frustration, um, my agency growth mode marketing was born i started it with a business partner about 7 years ago and we have evolved and we have learned and we did a lot of demand generation slash lead generation for clients and and we've learned over time as the market is shifting and how people buy that lead generation just doesn't work the way that it used to you know and and the difference between lead generation and demand generation ultimately is lead generation is about going after prospects and asking them for a meeting. Demand generation on the flip side, and, and we can get into you know what it entails, but it is essentially building trust with prospects so that they're asking you for the meeting instead. So it kind of flips the tables. And I think you know, there's
0: a lot of thought that you know, when you're going out and you have leads and you're pitching and you're pitching and you're pitching, you get a sales force that gets very frustrated because the reality on the studies they've done is there's only three to 5% of people who are actually in the market to purchase at any one time. So when you think that yeah. all these people are true leads and they're just blind and you're just like, ah, it's a CMO over here, ah, it's a county over here, you're getting a lot of people who are like, WTF? Why am I getting this? I have no interest in this. And it's not the warm and fuzzy reaction that your sales team is really hoping for
1: sometimes in those conversations. Right. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, statistics do show that in a normal year, only 5% of your total addressable market is actually interested in buying, which means 95% of those companies are not buying. And I think the reality is if you're selling something that's pretty expensive you're not going to convince them to buy. And that's where lead generation falls short because you're chasing after, you know, companies trying to turn them into leads and most of them aren't ever going to turn into real business for you, which is very expensive and time consuming for sales teams to chase after. And I recently read an article that said in economic hardships. So like with a recession, that number of companies actually drops down to 1%. So now 99% of those companies that you want to go after aren't in the market to buy. And so that's where demand generation comes into play because with lead generation, you're really only focused on that 5% or or perhaps this year 1% who are in market and trying to find them and pull them in. Demand generation takes a step back and says, okay, what are we doing to foster that other 95 to 99% of companies in our market that aren't ready to buy today to make sure that they know who we are and they trust us when they are ready to buy. So they raise their hand.
0: And then I bet your solution involves content marketing.
1: (laughs) It sure does. Yeah. I think, you know, A foundation of demand generation really is content marketing. It's about building really good content that you're putting out there for people to find. Um, There's some statistics that have come out of Gartner in the last probably, I would say, six months that really tell you how the way B2B buyers purchase is changing and why you really need to make your, um, your digital footprint become your best salesperson. First, uh, they're saying that we are moving towards 80% of the B2B decision process for making a purchase being complete before a person is willing to talk to a sales rep, which means you can only influence that last 20%. I mean, I think if you don't even make the consideration set, you're not going to have an opportunity to sell to that individual. Also, they're saying 72% of B2B buyers have indicated they would prefer to have a rep-free purchase experience, meaning they don't even want to talk to the sales rep when they're going through that process at all. And it's taking an average of 66 touches from marketing to get a buyer to engage with a sales rep. So and, and the so job this, of a sales rep is yeah, harder. Rep, like just so right.
0: listening. Remember that hole. you got to touch someone seven times in order to turn it into a <laughs> sale. You are screwed here. 66 yeah. times. If you don't have something in automation, something that's content that's delivering, and you're expecting your person to reach out and engage that many times. You are upside down and out of business.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because if your digital footprint is not your best sales rep, you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities, because what's happening is in the last couple of years, people have realized, hey, I can go online and I can find a lot of the information, and they want to self research, they want to find out as much as they can, so that they can minimize that contact with a sales rep. And that means I want to see video demos. I don't want to see a live demo until I get, you know, deep enough in if I really have questions about it. They don't want to talk about pricing with you. They want to be able to see the pricing before they ever pick up the phone and talk to you. But even before that, if you think about that 95 to 99% of companies that are not in market, they're not looking for a solution today. So if all you're doing is throwing um, content in front of them that's very product specific, you're missing the mark. That content is meant for the people that are in market. If I'm a buyer and I'm not in market, you've got to look for other ways to engage them and really drive the brand awareness and ultimately trust with them so that when they become in market, they say, you know what, I've been following along with your company for a while. I really like your unique point of view in the marketplace. It speaks to me. Let's have a conversation. And for all of you out there saying, oh,
0: you know, my people still, you know, they they want to talk to us. Do you want to talk to someone? Cause I don't. Like I like, <laughs> I like figuring out what I'm purchasing at two in the morning, you know, late night, sometimes early in the morning when I'm standing in the grocery store, wherever I might be, and I'm on my phone and I'm doing research. I don't necessarily want to talk to someone. I want to know how much it is. I want to know that they're good at what they're doing. I want to know that they have a solution for me. And I want to know kind of what the competitor set looks like. And what I want is the same thing you want. And it's the same thing that
1: everyone who's purchasing from
0: you is also wanting.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the the B2B sales process is broken. If you look at software companies, you know, They put a form out there you want a demo you have to provide their your information to them great now i have a demo call but what it turns out to be is a discovery call no value to me is the prospect it's the vendor collecting all this information from me the next call they show me a presentation with like screenshots the third call i finally get to see the demo and when i ask about pricing i have to schedule a fourth call with them that is not the buyer experience that people want and i think as you as you gate content as you put forms up there as you try to force people into your selling process you're really turning them off and they're realizing i can go somewhere else where i'm having a different experience and so that's where that content marketing is really important and why i reiterate like your digital footprint needs to be your best salesperson Because if you're going to support the way that people want to buy, you don't have a choice, really.
0: Now, are there things that you know that people typically do wrong with this approach?
1: Where do they make their mistakes? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So I, I think one of the big mistakes that organizations make is trying to be everything to everyone, so let's say they go out and they look at their total addressable market and, you know, I'll use the example, they're trying to sell HR technology. They look at it, they're like, well, anyone who has employees could, could benefit from our HR technology. So we're going to sell to everybody. And, you know, at our agency, we'll talk to our clients and say, okay, I get you can sell to everybody. But HR technology, for example, is a very, very crowded market. There are a lot of solutions and options out there. And everybody kind of sounds the same, even though they're trying not to sound the same. Mm -hmm. And as the buyer, it's really overwhelming. And so they start to price shop. Whoever's the cheapest, that's what they're going to go with. Unless you're the cheapest one, you don't want that to be the case because you want them to buy you for the value. And so I think, you know... That trying to be everything to everyone is a mistake and the way to solve it is to really build a strong ideal customer profile. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that ideal customer profile is about what type of company is the best fit for your solution and narrowing down that audience and then building out a unique point of view that gets people thinking specifically for that ideal customer profile. So you kind of stop chasing after everybody. It doesn't mean you have to say no to someone that doesn't fit your ideal customer profile, but all of your marketing, all of your content should be hyper-focused on attracting that ideal customer profile because you want more of those best fit clients Mm -hmm. to raise their hand and come to you. And so... You know, our agency for back in
0: 2012, I, I got the content marketing bug. Um, I had gone to a class where uh, a guy named Rob High had been in the sales world forever. And his whole thing was you have to write emails, email marketing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> email marketing, I can do the email marketing. And I was trying to figure out what I could do for email marketing. And after having a conversation and it was happening over and over again, I talked to someone and we do product placement and movies and TV shows and celebrity endorsements. And it's a very sexy and very cool world that no one knows anything about. They don't get it. And it does not mean that it's like the highest priority in their marketing, you know, to do because it's a fun to have versus a must have. although I think it's a must have quite frankly, yeah. uh, but with that, I would, my approach was I would have a conversation and a call, a sales pitch with a prospective brand. And there was a ton they did not know, just tons. And at first I was sending them an email back and saying, oh, and this and this and this. this." And then I started actually writing a blog, an article for them. And then I would backdate it like a month or so because, you know, who wants the crazy person at two in the morning sending you a a (laughs) page article (laughs) response to something that you never wanted. (laughs) I'd be like, <laughs> reach out to them with the link and say, and by the way, happened to have written an article on this. I think it will really prove valuable to you. And I did those once a week. Then it became twice a week, mm-hmm. then it became three times a week. And then I got and made my entire company write blogs also because it made them actually become better marketers when they knew what was going on in the world and they could learn how to explain it to prospective clients as well. And we have over 2000 blogs now out from that. It has made our agency, and I just am sharing this as a testimonial. You know, we're a small, mid sized agency. We have under 30 people um, who work with us, and we're able to compete with the largest firms who are out there, including one known by Bill Gates, because we have the reputation and we have the appearance of being so much bigger than we are, but more so we are established as the experts in the industry. There is nothing, knocking on wood, but nothing that our competitors can do to catch up to that much content. 350 podcasts, you know, 2000 blogs, Literally press in every major media outlet around the world. And it's not that I was getting the press because people were just randomly calling. They would find an article I'd written and then they would call. And now what's happening is I have a newsletter that goes out on Mondays that later on gets turned into a blog. But I just had a major media outlet uh, with the Wall Street Journal read my blog article that I wrote. Reach out today to ask me, because it was something that was timely, if I could chime in for an article they're doing. So you can revolutionize your company, especially in a B2B world, by these tactics that we're speaking about here today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a perfect example, Stacey, about how building out your digital footprint can benefit you because you're putting it out there and you're so much easier to find and you're in the places where the people you need to target are looking and searching for things. Um, I think, you know, as you think about content, so what you're describing, I I would say there's like three different um, rings of where your content should be. One, your own website, like make sure people can go deep and find really good information on your website to build out, you know, kind of your initial storefront. Two, it's about building out content in channels that you can manage. So we're talking social media, things like podcasts, webinars, just where you have the choice of how much you publish and when you publish. Mm -hmm. And then the third is looking at how do I tap into other relevant audiences? Mm -hmm. So those third party outlets that have the audience that you want to reach. And a lot of times that's pay for play. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not. Um, but where you're getting content out there, where they're referencing you, maybe you're sponsoring something. So you start to show up in the eyes of your ideal customer profile, if you're getting your content in the right places, everywhere that they are. So they know who you are, and they're consuming the content. And that sounds like a ton of work. And, uh, you know, I think the example you use, Stacy, clearly it was a ton of work that has been built up over years. And that scares people. But I think there's a way to kind of do what I would call the multiplier effect with mm-hmm. content where you create some really good pieces. So, for example, let's say you create a podcast series. Out of that podcast, instead of trying to recreate the wheel again and again and again, you use that podcast as what we'd call your cornerstone content. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out how to slice and dice it and repurpose it. So suddenly out of this podcast series, you've got by in one year, hundreds of pieces of content that you're putting out there. And, And what I mean by that is like, let's say you have a podcast, you record it as a video. So now you've got the audio and the video. Let's say you create five social clips from every podcast you do using the video. You can create an article out of it. You can create tons of social posts out of it. You can create the transcripts, like the list goes on and on. And so you're not necessarily like writing a new article every time, but you're taking, you know, the one thing that you're saying, this is the one thing we're going to do. And then you're slicing and dicing it and creating more bite-sized content pieces for people to go and consume because they might not listen to your half an hour podcast But if you're feeding them those bite-sized pieces on LinkedIn, for example, over a couple of weeks or a couple of months, they're going to get the whole story over time anyway from you. And there's so much software that's tools now.
0: You know, we're all hearing about ChatGPT right now, right? And like, I love using Mm -hmm. ChatGPT when I'm having our team test right now. We actually have... um, a full-on ChatGPT blog going that is being edited by me, curated. I'm going to call it a curated blog. And I'm doing it on purpose against the blogs that the rest of us are writing and and using still ChatGPT for research or um, for help with uh, editing or for help with creating a meta description or writing your intro or writing your conclusion or writing your summary, all these fascinating things ChatGPT or Jasper can do for you. But I'm doing it to see how Google actually measures on an SEO basis, um, one blog versus that's an AI versus humans. Yeah. Just seeing over the next six months to a year, how does that actually net out? You know, where are readers actually going? And is it actually being positioned in a different way than what we've been doing today? About yeah. The-
1: and that'll be really interesting. I know you know, if you go on LinkedIn, there's a ton of buzz about chat GPT in general, but even like within marketers, how to use it, how to apply it. You know, I think it's a great tool to leverage for like thinking and ideas and seeing what's already out there. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays into Google, you know, if, yeah. if suddenly everything that gets written is by marketers is from chat GPT, there will not be an original idea left because it's a database. It's Great. not coming up with new ideas. It's pulling information, but I think people are finding different ways to use it and slice and dice, you know, the content that they do have. I mean, you can take a transcript from your podcast and put it in there and say, give me five social posts five It'll titles out of anything. Right. It, it, are they good? You know, that's for each person to decide like whether what they're getting back is good enough to use or not, but it opens up a whole nother um, kind of avenue on how marketing's done. And I think it would be foolish not to at least understand how it can be used for organizations. Well, I think
0: the whole world of chat GPT is interesting and we're a unique case study as an agency. Because we have so much content on the web, what I'm finding is it actually quotes from me, and I can even just put in a um, write a blog on write a blog on blah um, in the voice of Stacey Jones Hollywood branded, and yeah. it does. It is insane. <laughs> <Kinda> scary. <laughs> it's insanity. What it actually does. It is amazing as a content. Yeah helper and the titles are actually pretty good I will say
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that's cool you know and and the difference is probably because you do have such a rich digital footprint that it can do that now if you take another company and they're like we're going to do the same thing if you don't have the same volume of content that is really good that is already out there you're not going to get the same results for sure But where it is good, now
0: you just be repurposing everyone else's thoughts and ideas that they put out there versus putting your own. Where it is really beneficial is like doing a research project. We just had a client who wanted to do a photo shoot in three different cities. And they wanted to know where the most iconic locations were in Florida and Dallas and Los Angeles. And they wanted to know um, what were the properties and the contact information so that they could work on the locations? And they wanted to know all of these different things. And I was able to put in chat GPT and work this all out where it gave me the five most iconic based on different parts of LA, based on Dallas. Yeah, Michigan, that's perfect. With the contact information, the website link for the photographer to go through and something that should have taken our team probably about 30 hours to put together. I would have had two people possibly working on it. It was done inside of four hours. Oh, wow. And it's insane what you can actually do with it. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So back in to demand generation, <laughs> besides <laughs> my whole love of ChatGPT right now. Um, so where else, you know, the cornerstone, absolutely, in creating the content and using tools today, because I think even, you know, you're saying, hey, you know, you can take a podcast and you can turn it into five social posts. Someone's listening to that going, I ah, have to go and take a podcast and turn it into five social posts. There is actually technology that will feed that in and it will make it for you and generate for you. Um, even ChatGPT GPT can help you with it. But on the video editing side of it, there's slice and dice, you know, software that will serve up lots of options for your team to use. So you can start doing this really cost affordably versus being yeah. something that's going to take over your entire life that you have to staff someone full time.
1: Right. It, you know, I think like I can tell you from experience, because my, my own team just recently started a podcast. It's a lot more work than you think, you know, with that. How hard is it? We're good at talking about this stuff. We're just now recording our conversations and putting it up there. And I can tell you, you know, when you go from helping clients do it to doing it yourself, you get a whole new perspective on it. Yes. But there are absolutely tools out there that can help. Like someone just told me today about a software called Grain. That will record and your video and it will come up with like an AI generated transcript. And then you can review the transcript, highlight key phrases, and it'll turn it into video clips for you. So you don't have to be, uh, you know, someone who knows how to edit videos in order to create the social clips. For example, you can have your marketing coordinator who maybe isn't as experienced but is pretty tech savvy go Mm -hmm. in and figure out how to do that and start to create a ton of extra content for you and that was
0: grain you said yep there you go listen to that but even on this you know podcast that we're doing right now you know I have Um, a platform called otter that's clicked into that's linked into it and so it's providing a transcript that's written down as well it also does show notes basically for me so it can um, tell you know it decides where it thinks that you know some good good meaty (laughs) topics might be I don't know how it decides it's smart smarter than I am and it'll tell you the timestamps. but there's so many different things out there that will help you with this stuff.
1: Right. Absolutely. And, you know, take advantage of them because most of them aren't terribly expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about Otter's, what, $20, $30 a month? 30 a month, yeah. You know, like none of the software is super expensive. Um, a lot of people like to use Canva to develop content pieces. Granted, all these different things end up Require adding a, up to a lot. They require a person and they add up to a lot if you start adding all these different things. But I think there's small incremental ways for relatively low cost that you can start to leverage in order to create more content pieces and make it go further.
0: Yeah, especially as, you know, your entry level employees cost is getting ever so higher and uh-huh. higher and higher, and you're being told, especially at a brand or an agency that you're going to need to pay someone at an entry level more than what they make at McDonald's, then having these little tools and tricks can really help you. Yeah, for sure. Are there any other tricks that you use in order to accomplish awesome content marketing?
1: Yeah. One of the things I've kind of mentioned it, but we haven't really gotten into is creating a unique point of view. And, you know, at at growth mode, marketing will help clients do this, but people can certainly try to do this on their own as well. What you're doing is first, you're building out that ideal customer profile. So you know who you're targeting. And that next step before you start to create all the content is to develop out a unique point of view. And the way that I describe a unique point of view, it's not your message, like your product differentiators. A lot of companies kind of struggle with that because they might be in a market where what they're doing is identical or very similar to what someone else is doing. And you're trying to break through that clutter. Mm -hmm. It's about defining the story you're going to tell and kind of the pillars that you're going to weave into every piece of content that you have or that you create. Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell that story over and over and over so that it resonates with people. Yeah, it sticks with people. But the key to that unique point of view, it's, it's about thinking about your market and your ideal customer profile and how your organization thinks about a challenge or a problem in the industry and kind of challenges that status quo. But more than anything, you're putting statements out there that make people stop and think. hmm And, you know, some people will agree with you, some people won't. And that's okay. You don't want to say something everybody agrees with because then it's not an original thought. You want some people to disagree with you. That helps spark the debate around what you're trying to push. But it also, you know, you'll have people who will buy into what you're saying and, and, you know, they'll stop and they'll think and they'll be like, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm going to follow their content because they're saying, Things that really resonate with me, and they're talking about problems that I see too. And so, that unique point of view, you know, again, you can't be everything to everyone if you really want to, you know, achieve high growth. You've got to stand out in the market. So, it's got to be specifically to your ideal customer profile that you're creating that story for. And then you go on to the content. And because you've done this unique point of view framework, Basically, the topics that you talk about are already mapped out for you. It's now figuring out how do we spin this topic to tell this story consistently and repeatedly. But if someone's reading it, they're not like they just published the same article over and over and over because, you know, that that's a real struggle, too. That's painful. Even if it's the same article (laughs) and examples over and over and over again. Right.
0: But if you need an example, ChatGPT is really good for that research. (laughs) (laughs) And so how can people find you, Deanna? Like if someone's like, I need some help.
1: Yeah. You know, if you're interested in learning more about how to create a catalyst for growth through demand generation, I would say check out Growth Mode Marketing's podcast. It's called The Demand Gen Fix. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me, Deanna Shimoda, on LinkedIn. I post a lot of content um, with insights and and thoughts and tips around demand generation. And then, of course, you can look at the Growth Mode Marketing website, which is growthmodemarketing.com as well, where we post a lot of information and insights as well about demand generation. And so leading into our last couple of minutes that we have right now.
0: What are the most, three most important takeaways, not a summary, we talked about this before, but what are the three things that you think, doesn't have to be anything you've touched on, that people need to keep in mind in general when they're approaching demand generation?
1: Yeah, I, I think, keep in mind that lead generation is really only focused on the short game And you can't overlook the long game. And that's where demand generation comes into play. And it's important because as we said, 95 to 99% of companies are not currently in market to buy. Mm -hmm. But remember that those future prospects are really important to your future growth. So you've got to build that brand awareness and trust long before they come into the market. And that will ultimately drive more inbound leads for you. And that's important to distinguish between lead generation and demand generation, because when they're inbound leads versus leads you're chasing, they're going to have a higher close rate. They're going to have shorter sales cycles, and they're going to have lower overall customer acquisition costs. So. There's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't want demand generation because it's just going to be a more um, profitable proposition for you in the long term. And it, it can truly be a catalyst for growth.
0: Well, Deanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Really happy to have you here. I am a massive proponent, in case you can't tell, of all things that are going to be demand generation and content. In fact, we have so much content that I'm not even sure how to amplify and what to do with it (laughs) because so much.
1: Yeah, that's a great problem to have.
0: (laughs) It is, it is. But thank you again. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you have any questions on how you can get involved in other people's content, we're talking product placement and movies and TV shows, music videos, getting your brand in the hand of celebrities, which by the way, all of this makes really cool content to repurpose purpose, give my team a call. We look forward to chatting with you. Have a great one.